This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, we get reaction to the Canadian federal election with former BC Liberal MLA and CKNW host Jess Johal. He offers thoughts on the results and what's next for federal politics in Canada. We escape the election chat for just a minute to chat with Andy Andy Barrar. Andy dives into the updates for the iOS operating system on your iPhones. Plus, you're going to get a chance to FaceTime your friends who aren't on an iPhone, might have Android, or in the browsers. Plus, more phone features and how China is trying to curb smartphone addictions by limiting how long kids can stay on the app. Maybe not such a bad idea. Plus, are you okay with fares? One of our... One of our staples here on the shift. And are you okay? Nice. Are you okay with the election? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no! Freedom of that. Please, please. We'll have so many of those conversations. Let's talk about are dumb you stuff okay? and hear my typos. Are you okay with fares? Oh. Oh. If it's a taxi yeah. fare, no. I miss, uh, I think I miss fares. We didn't like, we kind of got them back this summer, but sort of, not really. I kind of miss fares. Me too. I Cotton love candy. going to a fair when I was a kid. One of my favorite memories with my dad is he took me to this fair. I believe it was in Orangeville. I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to ask him. Uh, but he just kept giving me money so I could win a giant snake stuffed animal. And I did. I got home, and it was just the greatest thing that it was a triumph over the balloon throwing. You know, you throw the dart at the balloon, and mm-hmm. I won the snake. I mean, really, we bought the snake, but it was great. I love Ferris. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I like the games. Um, yep. I like the people. I like the sounds. I like to hear the sounds. And yeah. I remember standing at the Calgary Stampede, and we're at the mini donut truck, which is the best of the trucks. Yes, and um. Sweet Caroline came on the on the speakers, mm-hmm. and the whole it was late at night. It was probably eleven o'clock at night, so everyone's ripe. And you know, Sweet Caroline, the whole crowd, bah, bah, bah. Bah, bah, bah. <laughs> <laughs> those are the fun sounds of fairs to me. Okay, so think of the most American fair headline you possible. <laughs> all right okay That's a typo. Hmm. possibly could let me allow me to finish that oh, thank for you, you. it wasn't really a typo it was just not a complete sentence <laughs> don't worry ryan may have found the perfect most american fair headline possible for you pastors win goat milking competition at kansas state fair oh wow that's well, pretty shook good. Them up. Yeah, that's pretty American. Yes, the Kansas State Fair has a new goat, goat milking champion, and they're a group of pastors. They utterly destroyed. Oh. Th- <laughs> <laughs> it com- opposing sheriffs. That's a typo. They utterly destroyed the opposing sheriffs in a milking duel. That was to find the cream of the crop. Oh, oh God. <laughs> this is getting thick. Yeah. Thankfully, nobody was too cheesed with the results. Uh, I've, i got to be honest. I focus more on the puns than the grammar in this one. I have you to ever... be honest because the next line is, here's more from the news. But uh, it, 
I got nothing to click on. <laughs> oh, that's uh, well, that's exactly when you'll want to hit the clip. Okay, which clip? The first one. The first one. Yep. Okay. Good. Okay. So, that, by the way, okay, the election day is a very long day. And uh, what you're experiencing here is how scattered the fun stuff we get to do gets. So I'm going to say this. Here's more from KWCH 12 News, and Brendan is going to try to guess which clip he's supposed to play. Uh, let's see if this works. Now, the last two standing in this competition were Mayor Whipple's team and a group of pastors from Hutchinson. Now, this was a highly competitive contest. You can see the mayor tried his hardest, but in the end, the group of pastors got the win. Now, we learned after that the pastor's team did come with some experience. Luckily, I, uh, I grew up on a small goat farm actually between Colwich and Andale, so I had a little bit of background, but honestly, I have not milked a goat since probably age of 12. Luckily. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, can you play the very beginning of that clip again? Now, the last two standing in this competition were Mayor Whipple's team and a group... Okay, can we just say, if you're going to be at the Kansas State Fair and it's Mayor Whipple... <laughs> that is the headline right there. Yeah. Meyer Whipple. <laughs> My That's goodness. Fantastic. I didn't notice that. All right. Uh, this fair, being in Kansas, of course, had some locals like a kangaroo and some zebras. Oh, yeah. Indigenous to Kansas, right? Indigenous. <laughs> yeah. And even more incredible is the fact that this guy performed there on Saturday music. Wow. Yeah. In Kansas. Nelly <laughs> was the feature at the Kansas State Fair. So just to be clear, it's Kansas. There was a goat milking competition. Some pastors beat Mayor Whipple, and everybody was petting kangaroos and zebras. Do you follow? While jamming to, with Nelly. While jamming with Nelly. Good. Just a yeah. great story. Just kept getting better. I don't think get better. David Lynch couldn't have scripted that better, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get this next Are You OK started here, just completely out of context. Seatbelts, everyone! Please let this be a normal field trip with a friend. No way! All right. Um, that is, what is the name of that show? The Magic School Bus, man. Oh, right. My kids watch that. that. Yeah. Are you OK? Are you okay with taking the school bus? Well, back in the day when I had to. I mean, I wouldn't now. Yeah, it'd be yeah. weird now. Yeah, it'd be They'd really weird. They'd be like, weird. who's the old guy in the corner? <laughs> be like Ferris Bueller when the principal gets on yeah. at the end. Yeah. I think mm. the, they the, knew it was the principal, though. They did. That's fair. I think that the school bus, like the yellow one, I didn't like. I hate the smell as you know, I never liked that one, but the high school bus I loved because I could just listen to music and try to prep myself for high school for like 20 the, minutes. I value the best that time. part of the cheese wagon is sitting at the very back. And when I went to school, it was on Imanson Road in Fort McMurray. There was a bump and the bus driver used to go really, really fast. And in the very back of the bus, it's like a slingshot. Yeah. And you would hit that bump, and you would go flying in the air, probably land in a different seat, and hit your head on the roof of the school bus. That was the best part of the school bus. I like that part. For many kids, it's the only way they can get to school. It's a time for some friendly chatter and some paper airplanes to be thrown. 
<laughs> kind of nerdy school buses you get on. And to take a five-minute nap before you take another nap when you get to class. Students in Boston might end up partying on buses this school year, not napping. First, here's a summary of how short-staffed school bus companies are in the U.S. from CBSCS4. Weird. Are you nervous? Because I'm a little nervous about this. Getting behind the wheel of a school bus can seem overwhelming for most of us. Let's do this. Let's do the thing. Okay. School bus drivers don't grow on trees. It's hot enough to take care of your own kids, never mind 72 kids on a regular basis. That, combined with a labor shortage right now, has NRT bus CEO John McCarthy 300 drivers short of what he needs for the school year. For districts, there could be some disruption. That could mean some kids may have to get to school early. So that bus can go out and do a double run. And others might miss that first bell by a few minutes. This is a great opportunity for those looking to work right here in Marlboro. The city of Marlboro is using this video on social media to help NRT recruit drivers for its schools. The district is offering to pay $20 per hour for applicants to take NRT's 60-hour training course. And it's combining bus driver shifts with cafeteria work to create full-time jobs. You can serve our, our students during uh, lunchtime and then go ahead and drive in the afternoon. Got a text message from Trucker Dan says, isn't taking a bus considered theft? Uh, yeah. Dad jokes uh, coming at you. Would be. Uh, With so many buses running at max capacity, how can kids get to field trips? Well, one teacher in Boston had to get creative. The teacher hired a charter bus, and that fell through. So they hired a party bus to take the kids on a field trip, complete with a stripper pole and neon lights. Wow. Yep. Teacher Jim Mayers posted a picture of the bus with the students on board and added that they didn't really care about the bus and had a lot of fun, had a lot of great plant, and a lot of... They didn't really care about the bus, and a lot of great planning by a lot of great people made for a fantastic day. He tweeted this. Finally home from the best field trip ever, my favorite part. Mr. Mayers, asked one student, is that a real stripper pole? Yes, I replied. Huh, he said. I've never seen one before. Mr. Mayers said, me neither. Mm, well... <laughs> There's the way he posted the picture of them on the school buses or the school bus, the party bus is really cool because you can only see the top of their heads, obviously for privacy reasons, but they're all kind of just looking around because it really is like a stripper bus. Like they picked the most R rated party bus they possibly could. Thankfully, there were no strippers on the bus at the time when they went to their field trip. Says you. That's actually a good point. Who knows? What, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Are you okay? Are you okay with walking dogs? Yeah, if it's well behaved. I mean, it doesn't bother me if it walks by. I mean, running dogs is okay too. Oh, okay. I see where you took that. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. I will say that I I was always adamant around friends with dogs. Like, ah, uh, you have to go take them for a walk. But taking the dog for a walk is, is nice. It's good exercise. And it's fun when the dog starts to like be well-behaved on the walk. Although yeah. it is amusing sometimes. You know, sitting on the bench, people watching, and I see a dog walking a person. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's bad. That's not bad dog, mm -hmm. though. That's bad dog owner. Yeah. If you get a dog, chances are you're going to hey, but to take them for a walk. <laughs> That's a typo. Very much. Very but much. sometimes your dog forgets how strong they are, and they take you for a ride, especially after they see a squirrel. This is exactly what happened to a reporter for the BBC. She was cuddling up to a next to a 
She was cuddling up next to a guide dog in training when the dog leapt forward, causing her to faceplant on live TV. You're going to hear from CNN's Jeannie Moss, who takes us through that and the best interactions between animals and their beloved reporters. <laughs> Talk about famous last words. And she's very well behaved. Well behaved until Flash, the trainee guide dog, caused BBC weather person Carol Kirkwood to face plant. Live on the breakfast show. Look, oh, she's gone. Got, <laughs> got, we got a Kirkwood down. We got a Kirkwood down. Kirkwood temporarily lost her earpiece, but not her dignity, assuring the host she was all right. Yes, she's a very strong girl, Flash. And in a flash, Carol joins the ranks of TV types. Oh, I ain't messing with you. Oh, no. Interacting or trying not to interact with animals. Get frickin' raccoons, man. From spiders. Whoa! Oh my gosh, that was creepy! To a camel. Other livestock owners. Dude, get it out. I once found myself nearly disarmed by a hippo. She seems to like to be mocked. Okay, just kidding. Uh, that very special report was from CCN's Genie Moss. That's a typo. Did I, did I write CCN? Oh, I did. Yeah, we're starting. Here are some network. of our favorite moments from animals and reporters, too. Carson, ABC7, would you not eat my pants? Ah! <laughs> He's about 14 years old. He doesn't like the cold as much as the tigers, do you? But he's choosing to be outside, and if it gets really cold, he can go into his den in the back. Right, Tao? I'm Scott Mattis, live in Hernando, Mississippi, where there's been spottings of a cougar, and that's not it. That looks like a house cat, uh, but we're just feet away from where a local man rolled his cell phone video on what some say is a cougar. Now to the story of a pig that is inspiring others. One one pot-bellied pig has certainly endured his share of problems. Chris P. Bacon was born without the use of his (laughs) You have to read this story. (laughs) We should not. Oh my god. (laughs) Big black Australop cockerel, one of 500 birds that are being judged today at the show. Uh, ah! Ah! Oh my! When that guy yells, my eyebrows just naturally go up. It's an aggressive <laughs> yell, like some decibels on that. I would like to acknowledge the name of the pig, Chris P. Bacon. A little bit of levity and space for you from the election. A little bit of are you okay? This is the Shift Podcast. Jazz Joe Hall is with us here on the Shift. Uh, Jazz oh, uh, owns, I just almost said you own the show. Maybe you do. Uh, <laughs> at CKNW, uh, new to the airwaves now, not new to the airwaves from before, and not new to politics as a former liberal MP. Jazz, how are you doing after all of this? 
I'm good. It's good to sit on this side and watch uh, a race rather than be in one and have to be sitting uh, in I some bet. room waiting for the results to come in. I've I felt a lot more fun this time, I'll tell you that much. Well, let me ask you a question about that, because as much as these people are checkbox confirmed by the TV folks, you don't really ever know until you um, until you get that official word that you are confirmed elected. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does your brain go in that process? Do you do you waffle a lot? Do you worry? Do you actually sleep? I mean, what's that experience like? Well, you know, it's 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 a full on sprint for thirty days, uh, and uh, you don't sleep a lot. You you spend a lot of time door knocking, hearing from everyday people. And when you put in all the work, you you got to make sure you get the vote out. So to get out the vote over the weekend and up to today is so very important. Uh, the first few days, or the most of the campaign, is really about identifying your vote. So when you go knock on the door, you know you get a sense of whether that person is a supporter for, of yours or your party, and then you can it, it goes into a data bank. And then so you know, hey, when would you be voting, advance voting or election day? So then your job is to make sure uh, you have professional callers who call those folks up a day before or that day. Are you going to go out vote? Can we give you a ride? All those types of things, knocking on doors, literally saying, hey, uh, are you in today's election day? Uh, we got to get you out and vote. So it's a machine. Hopefully you have enough volunteers and folks calling for you that you actually go to people's homes and drag them out of their house and get them to vote. Uh, and so it is a, it's a, it's a lot of work, uh, and it's a lot of volunteer labor as well that you got to inspire people to come out and take part in this democratic process. So as I was watching election day today, I just was thinking about my time in politics and, uh, I was just so glad I wasn't doing it today because it is physically and mentally exhausting. And at the mm-hmm. end of it, as much work as you put in and as much sense of, you know, uh, you know, I, I put my work in, I think I can take this. You'd never know. Number one, number two, if you happen to be a high profile candidate in a local riding, you know, that may help you 5%, three to 5%, maybe uh, on a good day, 6%. The rest of the vote for you or your specific party is reliant on a, most importantly, the leader and how people emotionally feel about your party. So as much work as you put in, People still vote, and it's an emotional thing. Does this person's uh, values or this party's values uh, align with what I'm what I'm thinking? What's a priority for me? So, so much of it is out of your hand at the local level. So much is going to for a liberal to win in certain ridings, like in BC, where we didn't expect them to win, and they picked up a few ridings today. It's going to come down to Justin Trudeau's performance over the course of a month, and less so yours in some cases. Now, that's that's tough sometimes as well because you may be a strong candidate, good at what you do, but your leader might suck. Hate to say that mm-hmm. in some cases, and then and it and that impacts you. That the world isn't fair sometimes. At the end of the day, so there's so much going in a, in a, in a riding or in a race today. Number two, technology has changed. You know, we can talk about a national polling numbers, but then when you get into a local level, it's very hard sometimes to gauge where that support is. Number one, and anybody that lives in any part of Canada, the, the country's changed, right? Sometimes English isn't the first language. Cantonese, Mandarin, Punjabi, uh, Hindi, Arabic, uh, the Philippine language of Tagalog. It's hard to gauge what that support is because English isn't a first language in some of these communities. Um, so it is uh, very difficult now to, to, to be involved in politics in regards to reaching people. Then you have the uh, rise of populism, and that's part of it as well. I have a theory on politics, and I'll share it with you and your listeners. I fundamentally believe we're in the midst of a generational reset. And what you're seeing here is the average age in this country is 41. So you're seeing the rise of the millennial generation, and to a certain degree, some Gen Xers as well. Baby boomers had things built around them because they represent a wide swath of the population. Well, that's changing. So you've got generational change occurring, number one. 
And what I mean by generational reset is this millennial generation is coming in. Add to that technical disruption in regards to the last 20 years and what technology has meant, including social media. Add in demographic changes in regards to immigration uh, that's occurring. Now, put that aside for a second. And remember, think of the G7 and the Western world. Well, it's been a good 200-year run. 60% of humanity lives in Asia, and the rise of Asia, particularly China and India, is also layering on difficulty as well. So you have this populist era occurring with all these layers of that, that are impacting us. And I think we're in this era round where I think we're going to have disruption for the rest of this decade. And after that, we'll reach some sort of generational reset. I'm not saying the world's perfect after that. We will have challenges before us. And you can't always look to the past to predict the future. But when I look at the late 60s and 70s, the uh, civil rights movement, the, the oil embargo, there was a lot of churn and reset. And what you had was the rise of the uh, baby boomer generation, right? And they were challenging the status quo in so many ways, in society, um, all those types of things that were occurring at that time. And so in many ways, if you have to look to the past to a certain degree and say, what, what does that remind you of? This era reminds me of that era. So really? I think we're going to see populism continue through the, through the 20s and hopefully in the 19, you know, 2030s, once we get there, there will at least be a reset. We'll still have problems and challenges as we always had. But right now we are going through so much churn and technology and populism that you're seeing the fact that I think the last seven elections, there have been five minority governments, right, here mm-hmm. in Canada. That says mm-hmm. something, right? The pub- and then look at the People's Party of Canada, 5% of the vote, 5%. Yeah. You know, you got to wonder, when I was thinking, when I was looking at the numbers, you know, Maxime Bernier may be offensive to people. Guess what? He may get invited to the debate next time, next federal yeah. election. Right. Well, and so many people say about the, the Bloc Quebec Wabi in there and not the PPC when it comes to the overall impact. Um, that absolutely, to me, uh, I think that matters. And we're, we're going to see an awful lot, an awful lot more of that. Jazz Joe Hall hosts the afternoon show on CKNW in Vancouver, former BC MLA. So your perspective is good. Are they uh, any winners here or just not any losers? Um, I would say Justin Trudeau and the Liberals didn't do as badly in BCs as I thought they would. There's a suburb of Vancouver called Richmond, uh, where the Vancouver International Airport is located. It's just south of Vancouver. Um, there you had two conservative seats, um, and one of them they've had since 2005, I believe. Um, they picked up those two seats. We had another area called um, Langley Cloverdale, Langley City Cloverdale. Uh, that was a conservative area. The Liberals picked up that seat. Ten years ago, there would be no chance a Liberal would win that seat. No chance. So you're seeing mm-hmm. a demographic shift occurring in, in that area. The average age is about 38. Um, and there was another riding on Vancouver Island, same thing. Um, uh, in this case, uh, the, the, the challenge there, as was in Langley City, it's one of the other think, trends I think we're, we should be paying attention to, the People's Party of Canada vote was big enough that it really uh, it, it impacted the Conservatives in, in that riding to the point where they lost that riding. So mm-hmm. Nanaimo would be one, uh, Langley, Cloverdale City, even Richmond Centre, which, like I said, they've had since 2005 right now. Um, they were leading as of, as of tonight by, by 500 votes. There's still mail-in votes, of course, but the People's Party of Canada had 600 votes going into uh, the, the mail-in votes, the mail-in ballots that we still have to, to, um, to uh, count. You add that to certain places in Alberta. Uh, you add that to Atlantic Canada. Um, the People's Party of Canada cost the Conservatives' votes and can cost them seats. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I don't have a sense yet of what the People's Party... Of, I mean, I do, and part of it is, okay, there's some folks that are anti-vax, but I think it's you simplify 
um, that vote. I think you, um, you know, especially those of us in the city, kind of going, well, who's voting for these folks? I think there's just a lot of people, going back to that populism conversation you and I are having, that just want to throw a wrench in the whole system. I'm fed up with all of you. Yeah. And I know Maxime Bernier is offensive. But you know what? People knew uh, Donald Trump was offensive. People of, of faith, uh, Baptists and people who, who have the center-right persuasion know uh, Donald Trump wasn't a religious man. But they still voted for him because they're fed up with the fat cats in Washington. They're tired of lobbyists. They're tired of politicians. They're tired of no, you know, there's no repercussions for any of this stuff. They're tired of the fact that if a company like, a, let's say, a oil sands company or in the case of the TMX pipeline, you go through the process, you've got approvals, and all of a sudden you still can't build a pipeline anymore. People are just fed up with the fact that politicians aren't doing that stuff. We can't get stuff done in this country. Yeah. They're arguing that Canada is broken, right? Yeah. And then Well, you, the irony that happens to that cycle, like you said, is that, you know, it's the drain the swamp mentality, but it turns out all they do is build another swamp. Yeah. And for anybody who says that the anti-masking conversation around the PPC means that that'll just fade away in a year or two, I agree with that. But I think fundamentally, they those folks are probably going to have a home here in a very, very conservative party. And that was proof in the fact that they held their party in Saskatchewan, where there was originally no masking mandates, then there was, and then people still showed up the party without masks anyway. So that was very apparent mm-hmm. on the TV. Yeah. Um, what's going on? So, Jazz, can we look at uh, quickly here BC? They're originally. Maybe BC was going to be the tipping point in this election. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was going to be the, the, for the first time in a while, the result was going to take some time. I'm in Alberta. So for me, I was, I was thinking, I was like, come on, BC, yeah. bring up the rear, man. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but turned out here we are voting again, even though we already know the outcome. How yeah. is that landing for the West Coast folks? Well, I think, I think the, the reality here is you think of, tale of two cities. In this case, you could add a third maybe. But there is a, a very deep rural-urban divide. I grew up in the interior in British Columbia, a small lumber town of Williams Lake, about five hours north when I first emigrated to Canada. And uh, there's that Canada, the Canada that uh, was small town that was built on this, the lumber industry, built on natural resource extraction. Um, those those communities, the, the you know the Prince George's and the Kamloops, will keep their population, keep them keep it steady. My hometown of Williams Lake uh, will uh, has sawmills that have shut down. And they're going through tremendous difficulty, uh, as a lot of resource towns do. Meanwhile, places like Vancouver, where I live now, um, in the last nine months, we've had nine tech companies reach a, a unicorn valuation of a billion dollars each, right? So it's mm-hmm. a tale of two economies and two, a tale of two, uh, two worlds, really. And what's happening is, and when you look at the world politically, the conservatives do well in the Williams Lakes and the interior. They do win some seats in the outer Vancouver suburbs. But their core problem in Vancouver, and same thing in Toronto as well, until they find a way to win in Fortress Toronto or win in Vancouver, the Tories will not be able uh, to f- form a majority government. That's what it comes down to. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately, Mr. Mr. O'Toole is probably the most centrist of conservative leaders we've seen since Joe Clark. And I don't know if some conservatives may not like that, but he is very centrist and described as an old school progressive conservative. If you look listen to his speech tonight, he was reaching out and, and saying that, look, I want a second chance. These are the people we got to speak to. 
And I think the uh, the People's Party of Canada uh, hurt him. But I also think that, you know, when you start talking about assault rifles and the debate about guns, that hindered his movement. I think generally he's a likable guy, but he's still got to win in places like Richmond and the Surrey's, which is the second biggest city in, in, in the lower mainland here. And so what you have here is a party that predominantly relies on a baby boomer generation that is slowly in decline. And you're seeing the rise of the millennial generation with some Gen Xers. The average age in this country is 41. So when you look at the lower mainland where you add 30 to 35,000 new residents every year, predominantly immigrants, how do you speak to them? And until the Conservative Party can build that coalition again, under the, like, just like they did with Stephen Harper, and it's easier said than done, and I understand that, until they do that, particularly in Vancouver and Toronto, they're, they're going to be looking from the outside in. And the challenge they also have is that they raise more money than any political party. So the challenge mm-hmm. they have is their base. Their base is supportive. They're true believers, and they donate money. But the problem wow. is that base is to the right of where the conservatives need to be in regards to attracting those voters, right? There's a lot of work for us to do in all of this, that's for sure. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what the next 24 months, 18 to 24 months look like. Jez Joe Hall on the West Coast, CKNW host in the afternoon, and doing a fantastic, by the way, uh, job on the show, Jez. I know you're, you're experienced at this, and you don't need to hear it from me, <laughs> but I just wanted to let you know I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So well done, and thanks for spending some time with us here Thank on the show. Thank you. My pleasure, my friend. Anytime. It's the Shift Podcast. Handy Andy has decided to stay up an hour late and uh, join us here. So let's get into the disco with my main man, Andy Barrar. So we're not actually going to step away from uh, you know election topics here, Andy, because you've got all kinds of things that are going on. First, though, I did want to bring up an email that I got that was directed sort of towards you Uh-oh. that I wanted to share. It says this. It's from Dave Lemoyne. For Handy Andy... Just bought our first skipping rope. Tried it for 10 seconds. Loved it. Now our plan is to go five minutes at a time. It's harder than I thought it would be. Listen to the show on my drive home from Cambridge at 2 a.m. Hi, Dave. Thanks for listening. Handy Andy, you're inspiring the skippers with your COVID skip roping. I I love this. This is music to my ears. Um, You know, I got inspired from someone during COVID um, skipping. His name is the skipping seek and he's out in the UK. And um, I just recently saw a video of his and I got all inspired again. I actually took a week off Shane from jumping rope because I was having plantar fasciitis in my feet because I was jumping so much. I'd wake up in the morning. I couldn't walk and I'm trying to like crawl to the kitchen to grab my coffee. And then at some point I'm like, you know what? I got to take a break. Taking breaks is good. So for one week, I did not jump any rope, and I jumped today, and you know what? My foot feels great, and um, I, I feel like Dave. You know, I even got a new rope because the other one, I'm a, it's about to break again. So, uh, yeah, if anyone, if you want to lose weight, go to my website, handyandymedia.com, or go to the YouTube channel. I got some uh, tech to help you get fit, and, of course, a jump rope is one of them. I don't want to disappoint you because when you go look at Andy's videos, he is going to be skipping with his shirt off. He doesn't live like that in real life. Uh, he's got a hoodie on uh, tonight. So that's just his public face showing off the muscles. Uh, he In real life, he's actually quite cozy with a hoodie here on the shift. Um, so one of the election pieces that came uh, through all this, it wasn't really touched on a ton, but it was part of the platforms, the conservative platform, the NDP platform, was cell phone prices. 
cell phone prices in general, got to bring them down, more competition, putting price caps, all those things were talked about in the election. One of the things that I would love, and I'm all I'm a capitalist, so this is incredibly hypocritical of me to say, but the price of the products is so incredibly high. And I always use this example. I bought an HP laptop from Costco once as a DJ laptop. I DJed on it for just about 18 months. The ROI, return on my investment for that laptop, paid for itself in, well, a night. Um, and the, and I got months out of that. Apple products are getting so expensive that there really is a separation in class when you're going for the Apple products, but they're providing some new things and new updates. It's really the, the Cadillac of this generation or what the red Corvette was, uh, during the eighties. You know, if you can afford to have one of the, the newest iPhone, the iPhone 13, it, it essentially is a status symbol because it shows that, you know, you have the cash to, to afford that. And a lot of people, you know, affordability just, just to like get by on a daily basis is hard. We all need smartphones, but not everybody can afford a phone that if you go for the latest um, iPhone 13, if you get all the bells and whistles with the Apple Care and the tax, you're over three grand in, and this is Whoa. just for a smartphone. So it, it really shows you the disparity. I remember, Shane, when a phone cost $500 or even $1,000, that was like, whoa, I Way cannot I, believe people would pay my for Star that. My StarTac was like 700 and I was like, I can't believe I just paid $700 for a cell phone. Well, here's the thing, Shane. It, that's a mid-range phone now. If you buy a phone uh, at a mid-range price, it's going to go anywhere from five dollars to $1,000. And the luxury phones, especially now that we're seeing these foldable phones and flip phones that, that are going to be coming out in the, the next couple of years. Samsung, of course, has already released it, but the prices are going to still go up. So you're going to see, you know, that that disparity between people based upon the type of phone that they use. It really is the status for a uh, status symbol of this digital generation that we live in. Tell us about the new software, because there is new iOS updates for everybody's Apple phones. That's right. So as of today, if you do have uh, Apple iPhone 6S and up, you're going to be able to um, upgrade to the iOS 15. And what's really amazing, Shane, is, you know, when you compare Apple to Android, the, the adoption of a new operating system, like the mass adoption, it happens quite quickly. So I'd say within the next couple of weeks, and I think a lot of it is because Apple is pushing their users to make this upgrade. It's about three terabytes, if I remember correctly. So it'll take some time to download, but it is available. And there are some improvements, including the ability to use FaceTime with Android and Windows users. So now with, your, with iOS 15, you'll be inside FaceTime, be able to send a link to some other people who can then access it through a web browser. So tomorrow, if you want to have an election talk with your family and they're not on iOS, you're going to be able to do that with FaceTime if you upgrade to iOS 15. And you can also hang up on those people when you disagree politically. So that works. I don't, I don't really understand that move because one of the reasons why many people have stayed with Apple was because the ability to FaceTime between, you know, users. I mean, that was the greatest thing in the world. And what is what most people what do most people use when you have a friend who's an android for group chat probably whatsapp 
for years now. And if you have iMessage and everyone's on an Apple phone, it's super easy. What did FaceTime do? Allowed them to connect that way and be able to do that. So I don't, it's got to be some data somewhere that says it's a good thing. I don't see it. Well, what it was, Shane, is to compete with Zoom. Zoom was getting very popular. People were starting to use it as a, as a verb. I'll Zoom you. And then here's Fa- uh, sorry, Apple looking at FaceTime going, you know what? We got the Apple you know, people using FaceTime, but we're going to lose out to Zoom if we did not open this up to other platforms. The question I'm wondering, and I, I don't know if they'll ever do this, is if Apple will open up iMessages. Because a lot of people that I know that are our on Android will switch to Apple because all of their family members are on iMessage and they, mm-hmm. they feel left out. They get the FOMO. And so they reluctantly will switch to Apple, even though they love Android, just for that one feature. Just because everybody else in the family is on it, they feel left out, so they'll make that upgrade. But like you say, you know, Apple iPhones are very, very expensive. So typically what most people have to do is get an older version. You can't even buy the newest version because it's not affordable. So that's why you see the after-sale markets of used um, Apple iPhones always in big demand because a lot of people just can't afford it, but they want to get inside the ecosystem or they want to stay inside the ecosystem and they need to upgrade their phones. I have some family members that wanted Android, got cool Android phones, and with they were the only outliers and everyone else on iMessage. That iMessage was enough to bring them back. It's really cool stuff. Okay, well, through COVID, we've seen all kinds of different political things go on. In the election, provincially, there's been an awful lot happening as well. It looks like uh, Apple Health is starting to connect people with their doctors. Yes, and that's another feature that you're going to see with iOS 15. I don't know how this works in Canada, but it definitely works in the States. Users, especially if you're using like an Apple Watch, you're going to be able to show your data and share that data with your doctor. And so what they're really trying to do is collect all these types of data that we're getting on these wearables, especially in Apple's sense, because they have that great ecosystem where they make both the hardware and the software well, they want to start sharing that 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 health data that you have, whether it's your steps, your heart rate, the variability in your heart rate, all that into your doctor. And I think this is really the future of wearables because a lot of us are capturing all this data, but it's not going to the right people. And that's our healthcare practitioners. Now, they don't want to get flooded with data, Shane, but at the same time, they're starting to design it so that you can almost get this one page summary of your overall health. And I think that's really great. So the next time you go and see your doctor, they can pull up your records, see how much activity you're getting. Are you getting enough exercise? It's not just what you say you're doing, but they're actually gonna be able to track that. And what I hope in the future, Google will do the same. And then hopefully we'll have this kind of like, you know, universal database of all our health records that we could then forward to our health practitioners. I really think that's the future because We have the data. It's literally on our wrists, but it's just not going to the right places. And in in addition to that, we could also share that to university researchers um, for doing different types of studies if they want to see about people's activities. Hopefully in the future, all of this data that we're collecting anonymously can be shared to both researchers and then privately to our medical professionals. It's interesting stuff. HandyAndyMedia.com is the website if you want to check out his videos and uh, and all the Twitter and all those things. Andy Barrar is here. TikTok 
is getting limited for time, but probably not in the countries it needs to be limited for time. <laughs> it's really interesting how China is trying to curb, um, you know, smartphone addiction and gaming addiction. And so they're really trying to push kids that are under 14. They're making a new rule that their version of TikTok, you're only allowed to use it for 40 minutes or less. So, you know, they're really trying to prevent kids from staying on these social medias. But what they don't really understand is the way that TikTok is designed, it's just highly addictive. You know, it's just dopamine hits after dopamine hits. And and these apps are getting kids really young and they're getting addicted to it. And it'll be interesting to see if this actually works, because if I know anything about kids, they're very creative and they're going to find work workarounds to be able to yep. get on their TikTok. Multiple accounts you watch. Uh, okay, how about this? We get uh, preached to, we get tested in a side our, you know, corporate email. Are you clicking on the, the sneaky email or are you deleting it? Are you reporting it to the IT folks? Right. We get these little tests that come up. And, um, and isn't it ironic that Microsoft is now moving the other way to log in with no passwords at all? Yeah, Microsoft's finally giving up on passwords. What they've realized is during the pandemic, when everyone started to work at home, the passwords that we use on our computers is really the weakest link out of of getting into the back end of these corporate networks. Well, and so, except what for the fact that the human part is probably the, the stupidest of the links, but yes, <laughs> yeah, no, that's and that's what it is: is that we just continually use the same types of passwords and. For years, they've been trying to tell people to use different types of passwords, but no one does. And so finally, Microsoft has said, you know what? This is all. This is the, the weakest link in our entire security protocol. So we're just going to get rid of passwords altogether. And so what they're trying to move people to is like an authenticator app where they're going to kind of like verify you either through that app. You can get a USB security key. You could use facial recognition. You could use your fingerprint. What you can't use in the future is passwords. And I think that is something that we're going to see all the different companies use because passwords in this day and age just are not effective unless you're a hacker. It's a great way to figure out someone's backend entry into their computer or into their organizational system. So I think in the future, Shane, we might see uh, passwords be gone um, you know, for, for good. Well, multi-factor authentication is pretty cool. Bit of a pain, but it works. Uh, so, how does it look without without passwords? Is it is it exactly that? You we text your phone, send your email, in order to log well, in. Yeah, magic yeah, stuff. And the, exactly. And sometimes you'll even have these kind of like in, in Google Chrome, they'll have it where they can store your password. So, you know, instead of having like one pass or last pass, they might just all be built inside the ecosystem, so you don't have to worry about that in the near future. Very cool stuff. Okay, handyandymedia.com, uh, shirtless Segway scooter riding. Is it a thing online? What can we look forward to? Yeah, so a lot of people have heard of Segway. You know, they had that uh, original human transporter back in 2001, supposed to revolutionize society. Never really happened. Well, they're back. They got an e-scooter. I had a chance to review it. This thing, Shane, goes fast. It goes about 30 kilometers for a distance of 65 kilometers on one of these, like those, you know, T-frame push scooters. So that's quite a big distance. And the only problem that I can see with this Segway e-scooter is the weight. Even though it's super fast, super comfortable, the, the board that you stand on, you could actually fit two people. 
but it's just really heavy at 41 pounds. You know, you got to be like a pretty strong fella to be able to just carry this around. Plus, it doesn't have an ability to lock it to like a bike lock or anything. However, it's a great commuter e-scooter. But at the same time, you know, Segway, if you, you can go to my website, handyandymedia.com to look at the review. Very comfortable ride, but they still got to make a couple of tweaks before I think this would go mainstream. Looks like it's around 1200 bucks. So that seems like a lot. It, it is. It is. When you talk about e-scooters, the price ranges that I've reviewed is anywhere from about a $550 up to about $1,300, which is still cheaper than a brand new Apple iPhone. So you, know, you can get an e-scooter or a phone in your pocket, um, whatever one you prefer, I guess. Okay, so I just bought a 2006 BMW wagon. So got mega high mileage for the winter. It's all wheel drive. I paid $2,600 for a car. Wow. And this is $1,200 plus tax, right? I mean, put it into context. You can take that money right now and you can buy yourself a car for that amount of money. And, um, and you know, this is not a fancy car. It's an all wheel drive car high mileage my the whole goal is to kind of get through the get through the winter and 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 be safe and then i'll sell it and probably sell it for about the same price right so have we lost context with some of these gadgets when you talk about three thousand dollar cell phones you know twelve hundred dollar scooters have we just lost context do you think andy i i think that there's always that 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 early adopter that's willing to pay for these kind of things but at the same time there's really not you're not going to get the mass adoption like who could really afford some of these things and we're talking about a little scooter where you still have to use both your hands you don't have like a little you can't like go grocery shopping with this because there's nowhere to store you basically need to carry a backpack if you want to carry anything so you know i and it doesn't it, there's no key in it. You just literally turn it on and go. So there's no security on it. And I'm, I just wonder if this is like those hoverboards that we saw a couple of mm -hmm. years ago. Maybe this is hey. the new fad and then it'll just go away. But um, we're, we're seeing more and more of these electric transporter mobility things, even those like unicycle things. There's a lot of them out there. And um, I think in the future, you're just going to see more and more of these on the road because they're affordable. You just plug them in like a smartphone and next thing you know, you're going 30 kilometers for 65 kilometer distance. You know, that's still pretty impressive when you think about it. It's very cool. I don't diminish the fact that it's very cool. Uh, your early adopter has a name. He likes four easy payments of $400 or $300 in this case. And the easy adopter is known as Ryan O'Dall. So <laughs> early adopter. <laughs> he likes these things. He's excited by your review of the Segway, by the way. Ryan, have you decided, like, what kind of e-scooter you want to get one with racing stripes oh good a red one so it goes faster <laughs> no this is research no, you do I'm thinking no black with purple racing stripes white rims you know make it look like a rat rod and yeah. uh i'm thinking i put a little speaker that makes it sound like it's got like a v12 engine and i can just turn it on randomly so if i'm in the bike lane and somebody's annoying me, I can just pretend to be a Lamborghini and zoom off. And because I have such high torque, they can't catch me. So thought about um, anyway, so there, there's your early adopter right there. The only thing he's worried about is does it have racing stripes? So, 
<laughs> That's exactly who the buyer is. Um, I did see a video where someone put a Bluetooth speaker in the back of the car, like in the back of a hatchback. And all he did on the, the Bluetooth speaker was playing honking sounds for his buddy. So every time he was driving along, he was just like, oh, honk. And he'd be like, who the heck's honking at me? It was a fantastic prank uh, to a point where his buddy got out of the car and challenged the other driver to a fight, even though there was no, um, there was actually no, no one honking at him. It was just a Bluetooth speaker in the back of the car. Good pranks. HandyAndyMedia.com. Andy Barrar here. It's The Shift. Thank you very much, brother, for being here and being so flexible with us tonight and uh, staying up late and all those things. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. Are you going to put the uh, the scooter video in the Facebook group? I was going to put it, but I was like, you know, there's so much political talk. And then here comes nah. Andy Andy with the no, scooter put it in. video. Yeah, put okay. it in because the, uh, you know what? The, uh, the shift radio show Facebook group is exactly that for people to get away from the more political stuff. It's more the community. So you pop it in there. We'll love it. Okay. I'll pop it in right now. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to the shift podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify and curious cast.ca.